0: Let's open our Bibles tonight to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter number 2, Second Samuel, chapter 2. Again, let me say what a blessing it is to be in the house of God. Man, I'm so thankful for the Lord met with us this morning, and uh, you know, he... He doesn't have to be as good to us as he is, but that's just exactly like him to be that good to us, isn't it? And uh, I appreciate him meeting with us this morning. Second Samuel chapter number 2. Now I'd like to begin reading in verse number 12. We're going to read a good piece of scripture tonight. We'll read down to verse 29 and then we'll pray. With the Lord's help, I want to use all of it. I don't know why a preacher says that, like it's going to make people feel better when you say that. That usually makes people feel worse, but, uh, by Lord's help, we'll just say exactly what he wants us to tonight. Second Samuel chapter number two, verse number 12. The word of God says, And Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon. And They sat down, the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, Let the young men now arise and play before us. Joab said, Let them arise. Then there arose and went over by number twelve of Benjamin which pertained to Ishbosheth the son of Saul and twelve of the servants of David. And they caught every one his fellow by the head and thrust his sword in his fellow's side. So they fell down together. Wherefore that place was called Helkath-Hazorim, which is in Gibeon. And there was a very sore battle that day, and Abner was beaten, the men of Israel before the servants of David. And there were three sons of Zeruiah there, Joab and Abishai and Asahel. And Asahel was as light of foot as a wild roe. And Asahel pursued after Abner, and in going, he turned not to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Art thou Asahel? And he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn thee aside to thy right hand or to thy left, and lay thee hold on one of the young men, and take thee his armor. But Asahel would not turn aside from following of him. And Abner said again to Asahel, Turn thee aside from following me. Wherefore should I smite thee to the ground? How then should I hold up my face to Joab thy brother? Howbeit he refused to turn aside. Wherefore Abner, with the hinder part of the spear smote him under the fifth rib, that the spear came out behind him, and he fell down there and died in the same place. And it came to pass that as many came to the place where Asahel fell down and died, stood still. Joab also and Abishai pursued after Abner. And the sun went down when they were come, up, come to the hill of Amma, that lieth before Gia by the way of the wilderness of Gibeon. And the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together after Abner and became one troop and stood on the top of an hill. Then Abner called Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Knowest thou not that it will be bitterness in the latter end? How long shall it be then, ere thou bid the people return from following their brethren? Joab said, As God liveth, unless thou had spoken, surely then in the morning the people had gone up, every one from following his brother." So Joab blew a trumpet. All the people stood still and pursued after Israel no more. Neither fought they anymore. And Abner and his men walked all that night through the plain and passed over Jordan, and went through all Bithron, and they came to Mahanahim. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for the word of God. I pray that you'd use it in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, we need you tonight. We need to hear from you. We need your word Lord, we need the work, the effectual work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, we've not come for an academic exercise, Lord. We've not come just to study this book, but we have come to hear from heaven tonight. Lord, to hear your word and to hear your voice and to hear your will. So help us to have hearts that are rendered unto you and submitted unto you. And may you be glorified through our receptiveness to the word of God and our obedience thereto. And we'll be sure to thank you, Lord. We love you tonight. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to notice with me in our text, and thank you for your patience as we read a good portion of Scripture. I want you to notice a couple verses here in verse number 13 and 14. The Bible says that Joab, the son of Zerai, and the servants of David went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon. They're meeting here, Abner, who is the general over the nation of Israel and the kingdom of Israel, and Joab, who is the servant of David, and and he is uh, sort of the the captain over David's host and, and representative in many ways of the political will and desires of the kingdom of Judah. These two opposing armies meet together by this pool. The Bible says that they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool, and the other on the other side of the pool. And notice what the agreement is between these two generals on this day. Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and play before us. Joab said, let them arise. Now, if you were paying attention to our text, you understand what's being signified and what uh, Abner and Joab agreed to. What they're essentially saying is, instead of us having a pitched battle on this field, let's instead pick out our champions amongst us and pit them one against another, let them fight to the death, and then let that decide what the outcome of the battle will be today. But the thing that arrests my attention tonight is not necessarily what they suggest, but it's how they suggest it. Now, I don't know if either of these men expected necessarily a fight to the death. Maybe they had hoped that one would best the other and, and that would settle the matter. Certainly it's apparent from later on in our text that these men did not anticipate this uh, turning into the routing of Abner's army and the fleeing of them, the pursuing by Joab and his forces, and a battle ensuing in that place and on that day. But the way that Abner and Joab speak of the martial combat, this very dangerous conflict and contest that winds up being to the death is what arrests my attention. Listen to how Abner says it. Let the young men now arise and play before us. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight. And this may be a little bit of an abstract sermon. I hope you can follow and I hope you get help from it. But the thought that occurred to me as I read that is this. When slaying becomes sport when slaying becomes sport. Now, the kind of slaying that I want to make application of is not the kind of slaying that's done with swords or weapons. Rather, it makes me think of the harmony in a home that can be disrupted by cutting words, by conflict, by toxic and destructive relationships and interaction. Can I tell you something I've learned in in just a handful of years pastoring? Uh, A lot of people... They don't realize their marriage is over. They never thought that it was going in that direction. But their slaying words became sport to them. A lot of people didn't know they was blowing up their relationship with their kids or with a sibling. Somehow, they just got used to this back and forth, this bickering and arguing and fighting and fussing. And before they knew it, they had destroyed what was once a beautiful relationship and a warm affection. Can I tell you, we live in a world that is boiling and rolling with conflict, noise, and and clamor. If we're not careful, man, we'll start embracing the conflict, the attitude, the culture of discord that this world has. And we will make slaying a normal affair in our household. I'd say that most people who wind up destroying any love and any warmness and any affection in a relationship, be it that of a a parent and a child, or be it that of siblings, or certainly be it that of a spouse and and their spouse, they probably never planned on it going that way. But here's what happened. Uh, They allowed conflict and noise and clamor and argument to become just simply a small trivial thing in their home, never realizing the irreparable damage that it was doing. Let's notice a few thoughts here. And with the Lord's help, maybe we'll get a little encouragement from the Word of God. I don't know about you, but my flesh always makes it seem like there's no cost to arguing. My flesh always makes it seem like there'll be no consequence to cutting words and a harsh demeanor. But I think that with this thought in mind, when we read this text, we find out that everything we say and everything we do and every interaction we have has lasting effects on the people that were around. Notice a few thoughts with me from our text tonight. Notice, number one, the cavalier decree that's given. Now, I'm not going to dive deep into this because we've already mentioned it. We've set the stage for for our message. But I do want us to notice a couple things in what Abner says here. And here's the reason I think that we just somehow get used to this thing of noise and conflict in the home. Two reasons. Look at verse 14. The Bible says this. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and play say number 1 tonight he downplayed the severity of the danger you know we all sort of think that they're going to get over it don't we till there comes a day that they don't i've done uh, my fair share maybe more than my fair share of of marital counseling throughout the year and uh, one of the things that we'll talk to people about whenever we sit down and counsel with them in their marriages is we'll talk about Certain tactics. And the way I always tell folks is this. Listen, I, if, if you think you ain't going to fight in your marriage, God bless you. You'll learn soon. You're going to. Uh, You're going to have fights. And that's part of it. I heard a preacher say one time, me and my wife, we don't fight, but we have intense moments of fellowship. Amen. You're going to fight. You're going to fuss. That's part of it in a marriage. I think we all understand that. And you know, when you think about how you uh, argue with one another, I've often told this to young people. it's not about saying we're never going to fight. It's about saying we're going to fight in a right way. In other words, when we have arguments, they're going to be productive, we're going to move in the right direction. We're going to set some ground rules because there are certain things we don't want to do because they're destructive and toxic in a marriage. And we talked about certain tactics. I ain't going to go through all of them. I, I, I don't want to, If you're having problems, come find me. I'll give you the whole list. But there's one particular that comes to my mind. And we often caution people about this. We often call it emotional terrorism. And it usually goes something like this. One of them gets mad, gets angry. They have a, a big fight, a big row in the house together. And then one of them decides all of a sudden they need to take a drive to clear their mind. Uh, let me just say this. Hey, you don't have a right to walk off in the middle of a fight. You better stick in till it gets solved. Let me tell you why, because your heart walks out the door when you walk out the door. And they'll do something like this. They'll head out the door and then they'll conveniently leave that cell phone sitting behind. And it ain't by accident. It's on purpose because they plan on staying gone for five hours. And and how it goes in their mind is this. Uh, eventually, they'll, they'll get worried about me. They'll be afraid I'm laying in a ditch somewhere. And then when I walk through the door, they're going to be so happy to see me. They ain't even going to care about all the nasty, awful things I said to them earlier. And somehow some kind of weird hallmark moment will all just hug and make up and it'll be a beautiful thing. You know the problem with that? Sooner or later you're going to walk out the door, they're going to look over and see that cell phone and they're going to realize they don't care whether you come back or not. Because a person's only going to let their heart be took hostage like a, like a, like a terrorist, like some kind of person doing a bank job taking hostages so many times before they begin to sever their love for that other person. But oftentimes in that situation we don't think of it that way. We could look at a million different other things that happen in marriages. But, you know, all of those things that we engage in, you know why we do that? Because we somehow imagine that that doesn't have a lasting effect. Sooner or later, the pain from that is cumulative and it's going to have a lasting effect. The reason that Abner had to talk about it in this language is because he couldn't send these children off to die except he made it seem like there was something noble or something innocent about it in the first place. He downplayed the severity of the danger. But then notice number two, uh, he says this, Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and play before us. Joab said, let them arise. Isn't it interesting the way he says that? There are a lot of things that one would think would be implicit in the Word of God, but they're not. The Holy Ghost spells it out for us, and I don't think that's by accident. In Abner's mind, he imagined that the carnage that played out before him would somehow not touch or affect him. You know, we often think to ourselves when we allow discord and conflict a place to live and thrive and grow and and branch out in our home, we somehow think it's not going to affect us. Can I tell you this, the nasty things you say to one another are going to affect you every bit as much as they affect your loved one. The conflict and noise is going to affect you every bit. Of... you with me tonight? It, when I'm talking about noise, I ain't preaching against and You can help me a little bit tonight. Don't tell me all my ameners went up at the campground, amen. Because in this week when I fuss at them, they're going to blame you all. They're going to say, well, preacher, you left all the people that say amen back in Knoxville, all right? No, the fact of the matter is, he he believed, as we always do, that somehow it's not going to affect me. Somehow I will escape it. Somehow it's not going to reach and touch my life. There's never been a person whose relationship with a loved one has fell to pieces that thought it was going to happen to them. They all somehow thought they would be exempt from that impact and from that effect. So we see his cavalier decree. Then notice what happens, verse 15. The Bible says this, Then there arose and went over by number twelve of Benjamin. Which pertain to Ishbosheth, the son of Saul. Now, all that means is that they're of the tribe of Benjamin; that they are servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul. But that makes them the enemy of David. So the Bible says also that twelve of the servants of David that they went over as well. And notice what happens, verse sixteen: and they caught every one his fellow by the head, and thrust his sword in his fellow's side, so they fell down together. Notice not only the cavalier decree, but notice number two, the collective destruction that took place. And the first thing we notice here is their painful deaths. It's almost, you're going to think this is awful to say, but it's almost comical to envision. Each one grabs the other by the hair. That's why it's good if you ain't got none hardly up here. Grab some of y'all ought to say amen to that. Some of y'all have no reason to grabs each other by the head and thrusts the sword through their side. You almost imagine statistically how it can even happen that way. But I think the Holy Ghost allowed it to take place to remind us of just how self-destructive treating lightly conflict in our home and in our relationships is. Can I tell you this? You think you're damaging them, but you might as well be grabbing your own head and running a sword through your own body. It's going to destroy you as well. They're painful deaths. And then notice this. And if you ain't going to help me no more than this tonight, we'll just hurry. Amen. Notice what it says. (laughs) So they fell down together. Wherefore that place was called helcath which is in Gibeon. I love Bible names. I love them because they always have meaning. Did you know what this name, helcath you know what this means? It means a field of stone. And the figurative picture here is this, that this was a place where men stood as stones in their resolve and determination and died for their effort. Man, that sounds noble, right? Until what you realize is that these men died for absolutely no reason at all. It almost reminds me of what our perspective and mentality is. When we're in the midst of conflict, we think it's real brave. We think it's real noble. You know what it is? It is real stupid to stand in a field and die for no reason. Can I tell you this? There ain't a single thing you fuss and fight over that's worth your kids, that's worth your marriage, that's worth your your spouse, your siblings, that's worth your relationship with your church family. It might be real noble, but all you'll have at the end of it is a a rock sitting in a field somewhere to memorialize your own pig-headedness and stupidity. See, the fact is, their shameful legacy was this. All they, all these men were remembered by were not some noble sacrifice that was given, but rather the senselessness of their deaths in the first place. (laughs) I hate to tell you this, but you ain't going to remember the things you're fighting over. They ain't going to matter to you. Now, I'm not saying there aren't big issues in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationships, in in, in our, our raising, our parenting of our children. There are big issues that we have to take a stand on. But I found that most of the time matters of principle. I I, I don't know about you. I'm very blessed. I'm, I'm married to a woman who is, is every bit as spiritual as me and twice as smart. And I found that most of the time, if I'll have the right disposition and the right attitude, and if I'll have Bible for what my position is, she's a reasonable person who'll listen to everything that I say. Uh, I found that most of the time when people know the Lord and love the Lord, they probably don't have to resolve their problems through screaming and yelling and fussing and fighting. Most of the time when the screaming and the yelling and the fussing and the fighting take place, it's not because it is their principles at stake. It is because it is their pride at stake. Let me tell you something. Your pride ain't worth shooting. It ain't worth nothing. Don't let your marriage die in that field. Let your pride die in that field. Don't let it be a memorial to to the death of your relationship with your kids. Let it be a memorial to the death of your pride. Don't let it be a a memorial to the death of your church relationship. Let it be a memorial to the death of your pride. The sad reality, their shameful legacy was this. They were a bunch of people that stood out in a field, grabbed each other by the hair and stabbed each other to death over no reason at all. Sounds silly, sounds foolish. So is the reason why most of us allow destructive and toxic elements into our homes, and into our marriages. I see in this passage the cavalier decree, and then I see the collective destruction. But then notice what verse 17 says. It says there was a very sore battle that day. Now, hold on a minute. This whole fight between these 24 men was had, so there wouldn't be a battle that day. But in fact, when it was all said and done, there was a battle anyway. The Bible says Abner was beaten, and the men of Israel before the servants of David. I see the compounding devastation. You know what happened? It didn't stay contained. It broke out into open warfare. More people died than had to die because of the conflict and because of the destruction and because of this activity this day. You know, very often the arguments we have and the discord we have goes far beyond what we ever planned for it to be. We say things. Now, I'm going to say something now, and it ought to shame you because it shames me. Uh, we talk, we talk worse to the people we love most in our life than we would to a total stranger. Husbands, you have said things to your wife you wouldn't say to a total stranger. Wives, you have said things to your husband that you wouldn't say to a total stranger. Parents, you have said stuff to your kids you wouldn't dare say to somebody else's kids. That's not to say that the familiarity that is, is brought about by the sense of duty and responsibility we have to each other is not real. But it is to say this, we better be careful Because often we take people for granted and often we take their love for granted and often we take the surety of our relationship for granted. But most of the time when we start down that road, never ends when we think it will. It always gets worse. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I mean, is that all right? You don't even know what I'm about to say, so you don't know if it's all right or not. I might be going to tell your mama's ugly or something. You don't know. But I'll just go ahead and be honest enough to say, man, there's been times I've said things to my wife I, I, I didn't mean to say things that weren't true, things that were cutting, things that were cruel. I didn't, when we started fussing, I didn't set out to say those things. But you see, it never stays confined the way we hope it will. You probably said things to your loved ones that you never thought it would. You thought it would be ended with this little parry, with this little argument, with this little fight. But before long, it broke into open warfare. Let me tell you something. somebody that has sat across the table from people whose marriages are falling apart and they can't even figure out why. Nine times out of ten, they can't even remember what the first argument that started the second argument, that started the third argument, and on down the line, 300 arguments later was. Most of the time they've done forgot about that. Like the Hatfields and McCoys. They don't know it was all over a pig in the first place. And then they lose sight of that. And you know what happens? War for the sake of war. Fighting for the sake of fighting. And it becomes a way of life. They're used to a loud home with noise and hostility and tension and open bitterness. And their home becomes a battlefield. I'm going to tell you this. It's not to the glory of God that our home's a battlefield. It's not to the glory of, of God that our children live in terror and that they live in heartache. I see the compounding devastation. But then it didn't end there. Verse number 18 begins a little story about Joab's brother by the name of Asahel. And the Bible says this. There were three sons of Zerai there. Verse 18, Joab and Abishai and Asahel. And Asahel was light of foot as a wild roe. Now, Asahel is the youngest of the three. And Asahel pursued after Abner. And in going, he turned not to the right hand nor to the left from following after Abner. You know what I see here? I see there was some collateral damage from what took place this day. It's not just that it did more damage to themselves personally than they anticipated. But there was people that didn't have nothing to do with this conflict, nothing to do with this contest that got dragged into it and lost their lives over it. Can I tell you, man, especially, and I'll just say it real plain, to us parents, we're raising kids. They're watching how we're treating their mama or their daddy. We're teaching them what a normal home looks like. That'll keep you up at night. Is the home you're providing for your kids the home you want your grandkids to grow up in? Is the way you treat your spouse the way that you want your grandkids to see their parents treat their spouse? You know, there's always collateral damage to sin. It doesn't matter what kind of sin it is. It always sweeps people in that didn't sign up to be a part of it in the first place. And when we read down through our passage, you know what we find? We find that Asahel lost his life this day because Joab was willing to engage in this. Notice two things here. Notice, number one, the lead that he followed. It's interesting, when you come to this passage, nowhere does it say that there's any great deep personal animosity between Asahel and Abner. And in fact, what you'll find is that later on, Abner defects to the side of David. And, and it all just so it seems sort of cut and dry and sort of political in nature. These men were brethren in a sense. They were really a part of the same nation. And, and, and they had a desire to serve a king that honored God. They had different perspectives on who that king should have been. But I have no real reason to believe that Asahel hated Abner. But here's the problem, is big brother Joab. Had set to destroy Abner, and I see the lead that he followed. Everybody follows somebody's lead. Everybody learns how to live life from somebody else. Everybody learns what normal looks like by watching somebody else. Uh, we, me, and my wife were talking the other day, and we were talking about our families, and uh, both of us, in various you know branches of our family, come from Appalachian people, and we don't just mean country people. And we don't just mean suburban people, but we mean Appalachian people. And uh, to Appalachian people, uh, feuding is an Olympic sport. Arguing is a way of life. I've got people in my family that if they ain't in the middle of some tornado of conflict, they're not happy. It's got to be some kind of noise, got to be some kind of problem, got to be some kind of chaos going on. Do you know what that does? That creates a generational bondage in homes where people begin to believe that that kind of lifestyle is normal and acceptable. If you make a home where yelling is normal, your kids are going to make a home where yelling is normal. If you raise them to believe that that's a normal environment, saying cruel and cutting things, abusing and berating one another, they're going to think that that is what normal is. You know what's going to happen? They're going to follow your lead. We all have people following our lead. We all have people watching the way that we're living. doesn't matter who we are, where we are. And if they look at our life, and that's what they'll see, and especially little ones, they don't know any better. They think, well, this is what a home looks like. That's the way generational bondage begins. You know what generational bondage is, right? Uh, the, I understand that God doesn't lay to the account the sins of the father to the sins of the children. But boy, don't it seem like the devil feels like the sins of the father are a pretty good starting place in the life of the children. And you'll see people that will carry forth these sins and these, this bondage and these problems and, and pass it on to their children and their children's children. We know those things are not genetic. They're not passing down a predisposition. But they have normalized this behavior. And they've made it what a home looks like in their mind. I see the lead that he followed. And then you know what happened? Verse 23, Abner tries to get Asahel to turn aside. But it says he refused to turn aside, wherefore Abner, with the hinder end of the spear, smote him under the fifth rib that the spear came out behind him, and he fell down there and died in the same place. And It came to pass that as many as came to the place where Asahel fell down and died, stood still, I see not only the lead that he followed, I see the life that he forfeit. Uh, it's a great tragedy what happens to Asahel this day, and it's not even as much how he dies, but it's that he dies. He's a young man. And it seems as though the bitterness that Joab and Abishai feel towards Abner is deeply rooted in the notion that Asahel as a young man was robbed of a life that he could have had. You know, the problem is when we, when we make conflict the normal operating procedure in our home, we're robbing our children of the life that they could live. They could live a life of peace, contentment, happiness in the Lord. They could lead a life where they have harmony in their home. They could lead a life of respect for their loved ones and loved ones from their respect. But instead, all they've ever known. Man, I've said this for years. I, uh, people with the raising of children, they'll say things like this. Well, I don't want to shelter my kids. I do. If I could, I'd shelter your kids. <laughs> I'll shelter them as much as I possibly can. Man, I want to keep all the hell off of them that I possibly can for as long as I can. And uh for uh, 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 about half a second, culturally in our country, amongst Christian parents even, there was this perspective that you somehow had to inoculate your children from the world with just a little dose of worldliness. And that somehow by doing that, you'd show them that it's really not that appealing and and that would, would cause them to lose their appetite for it. First off, it's a lie straight out of hell. The flesh likes sin and will always like sin. But even setting that aside... I would say this, I heard a lot of people say things like, well, I just want them to know what options there are out there. I want them to know and make a legitimate choice. I don't want them to just be raised in it because that's all they've ever known. Can I tell you this? The sweet Holy Ghost will make sure that if somebody's been raised in that mess, that they have a glimpse of of spiritual light shown unto them so that they can make a decision to get out of it. But you ain't doing them no favors by raising them in that mess because what they'll believe is that that is normal. And the world is not going to show that benefit to them. I would just simply say, here's what you're doing. You're choosing for them. When you raise them with low standards, you're choosing low standards for them. Because the world ain't going to challenge them with high standards. When you raise them in worldliness, you're choosing worldliness for them. Because the world ain't going to choose separation for them. By the same token, when you raise them in conflict and noise and chaos, you're choosing conflict and noise and chaos for them. Because their flesh is not going to choose peace and contentment in the Lord in and of itself. Think about the life that he could have lived. Then look at verse 24. The Bible says this. Joab also and Abishai pursued after Abner. And the sun went down when they were come to the hill of Amma that lieth before Gia by the way of the wilderness of Gibeon. And the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together after Abner and became one troop and stood on the top of an hill. I want you to think with me for a moment about the callous disposition they find in themselves. Now, just a few weeks earlier, they would have considered themselves of the same nation, brethren. And by the way, in fact, Abner and Joab both invoke that later on when they make peace. They talk about it. Abner says, how long you'll follow after your brethren? He's trying to remind them, hey, at the end of all of this, we're on the same side. But if you'd walked into this pitched battle, you wouldn't have thought there's on the same side you've got one group on this hillside and they got their shields up and they got their spears in their hands and they got their lips pulled back in a snarl and you looked on the other side and you would have seen Abner's troops standing in formation, ready set as enemies against one another. Isn't it crazy how people can go that quickly from being advocates to adversaries, from being uh, allies to being enemies? You know, in your home, and I've seen this happen, man, where people just develop this spirit and disposition of of opposition to the people that are around them. Anything that that other person's for, they're against. Anything that other person's against, they're for. And they yield their home to a spirit and environment of conflict and opposition one with another. Now, this is generally the final step before a home falls to pieces, before a... Child refuses to ever call a parent again before somebody gets out of church and says they swear they're never coming back. It's usually they finally devolve to a place where they no longer see those people that love them as being on their side, but they view themselves as enemies, opponents in a conflict. You don't think you can get there, but I've seen people with better marriages than you or me get there. I've seen people with better relationships with their kids than you or me get there. I've seen people more committed to church than you or me get there. And you know what happened? Slaying just became sport to them. They treated it like what they said and how they treated people had no meaning and had no matter and had no power and had no impact. On the people around, them, like it was a small thing, like forgiveness would always follow, like a second chance would always come, like their words were wind and would be carried off, having no lasting effect. You may feel that way, but that don't mean that person you're talking to feels that way, and instead, it had lasting effects. They eventually became enemies one of another. But I got good news for you: It did not end with a total slaughter in fact what we find is not only and I'll go ahead and just mention all of them we see the cavalier decree let them play together that's all it is it's just play it's not it's not anything real it's not anything lasting we see their collective destruction uh, these people that grabbed one another slayed one another the compounding devastation we see that it didn't end there but it bloomed into an entire battle the collateral damage the death of a young man who was just following what those around him were doing and finally the callous disposition the the Bitterness, the hatred, the the utter aggression that they developed one to another. But, But then verse 26, something changes. Then Abner called to Joab and said, shall the sword devour forever? Knowest thou not that it will be bitterness in the latter end? How long shall it be then ere thou bid the people return from following their brethren? We find here the calming diffusing that takes place. Can I give you good news? If you've let your home become that, it don't have to stay that. You can fix it. If you've let your marriage become that, you don't have to stay that. You can fix it. If you've let your relationship with your child become that, you don't have to let it stay that. You can fix it. You can help it. You can see God speak peace to your heart and to your life. One of the places we always take people when we're counseling them is in Ephesians chapter number four. Now you don't have to turn there, but I want to read it to you because there's something the Lord showed me years ago that has always stuck in my mind. Paul's talking about the home and about the responsibilities that husbands and wives have to one another. And he says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know, we have an interesting dynamic here. It's almost like there's a stairway that descends down and then ascends up out. It almost presents to us how conflict between people, particularly in a marriage and in a home, but really any kind of conflict, the course of devolving that takes place. Think about these words that Paul uses. He says this, let all bitterness. Now, that's how most disagreements begin. They begin with an inward bitterness. We haven't expressed it outwardly, but we're dissatisfied with what somebody has done. Then it breaks forth into what Paul calls wrath here. That, that is the open, affected change of our behavior one towards another. Then it produces anger. That is the expression of that wrath. That's mistreating one another. Then I like this good King James Bible word, clamor. Clamor. We got a good Appalachian word for that. You know what it is? Racket. Racket. Clamor. It's the sound of pots and pans banging together. Is what the Word carries the idea of. And that's when the open argument and the open anger begins. Then it says this, evil speaking. Boy, I don't know about you, but any argument left long enough, it'll eventually devolve into evil speaking. Not not just arguing, but trying to hurt each other. Trying to lob pain and spite at one another, hard as you can, to try to bully them and bluster them into stopping the argument. Then it says this, with all malice. Malice is a deep-seated, seething bitterness and resentment. It's a lack of love and a lack of affection for somebody. You know, that's how our arguments go. But then notice what it says here. Be kind one to another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You know that the way in is to go the same way, but back out. (laughs) The way into that mess that we took. We take to get out of that mess. But there's a few less steps. The first thing it says is this. Be kind one to another. Kind. You'd be amazed how much kindness can diffuse a situation. You don't even have to mean it. But you better be able to fake it real good. Especially you men. Because your wife can tell you're a terrible liar. Just kindness. Just a gentle act of kindness. Doesn't have to be waving the white flag. Doesn't have to be a heartfelt letter of admission of guilt but just a simple act of kindness one to another. Then he says this, tenderhearted. You know why tenderheartedness is needed? Because a lot of times when somebody's kind to you, you'll throw it back in their face. You'll take it as a cheap shot. One more opportunity to make them hurt for how they've talked to you. That ain't going to fix it. Instead, tenderheartedness, the receiving of that kindness. Then he says this, forgiving one another. Forgiving one another even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And you say, Preacher, we're preaching 2 Samuel. I know, we're going to get back to it. But let me just say this, there's a way in, but thank God there's a way out too. There's a way out. We see in Abner's behavior and Joab's behavior, the way out. How do you diffuse that sort of home? How do you heal that sort of, of anger and conflict? Well, there's a few things that have to happen. Verse number 26 reminds us of this. We see number one, the bitterness was admitted. Abner says, shall the sword devour forever? Knowest thou not that it will be bitterness in the latter end? First thing you have to do is recognize that your actions have consequences and you ain't going to like them when they finally bring fruit. You're going to have to acknowledge that that kind of behavior, the cruel mistreatment of one another is not acceptable. And you're going to have to be willing to acknowledge that it's going to produce a bitterness in your home. In other words, where it begins with Abner saying, hey, just let the young men arise and play. Now Abner says, whoa, I don't want any more of that. It brought bitterness in the end. He all of a sudden has recognized that this thing was more dangerous than he ever thought it would be. I see the bitterness was admitted. Then notice verse 27, Joab said, as God liveth, unless thou had spoken, Surely then, in the morning, the people had gone up everyone from following his brother. This is real spiritual what Joab says. A- Abner says, Joab, we're going to keep doing this? How many people are going to die? Don't you know? This is going to bring heartache. Joab says, well, it's your fault. <laughs> your fault in the first place, Abner. He says, if you hadn't opened your big mouth and said, let him arise and play, we would have departed in peace and there never would have been a fight in the first place. Now, if I'd been Abner, because I'm not spiritual, I would have said, hey, takes two to tango, buddy. I said, let him arise and play. You said, count me in. But instead, you know what Abner does as the older, wiser man? He just stays quiet. He had a legitimate reason to throw that blame back in Joab's face. But instead, he says, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. You know, until we begin to concern ourselves with our own guilt more and with the other person's guilt less, we're never going to have peace in our home. Do you trust God with the guiltiness of that other person? Do we have a just God? God's going to see to that whatever it is. The only thing that should occupy your attention is your own actions in your own place. Most of the time, we don't want to admit guilt because we think if we admit guilt, they escape guilt. But that's a wrong-headed perspective about the justice of God. God's going to set everything right. We want peace in our home. Blame has to be accepted. Not blame delivered. But if it is delivered and if it's legitimate, we must accept it. Blame was accepted. And then verse 28, so Joab blew a trumpet. And all the people stood still, pursued after Israel no more. Neither fought they anymore. Now, the book of Isaiah teaches us this, that trumpets in the word of God, they have a parallel to the word of God. I would say this. The bitterness was admitted. The blame was accepted. But then we see the blowing of the trumpet. Say, preacher, how do I have peace in my home? Well, you're going to have to blow the trumpet. You have to get in the word of God. Let it live and dwell richly in your home, in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids, in your relationship with your church family. You want peace? It's going to take the Word of God to have peace. You know why? Because your flesh is still your flesh. And the only thing that's going to give peace in your home is if you've got enough of the Word of God in your life to buffet your flesh and to put it in its place when it wants to rear up and take your part. So what did Joab do? He blew the trumpet. What happened when he blew the trumpet? The people stood still and pursued no more. I found, man, there's been a lot of times in my life some preacher got up and blew the trumpet and I quit my foolishness. The Holy Ghost of God convicted me, drove a nail right through my pride and showed me that I was being silly and that I need to just surrender myself to the Word of God. I see the blowing of the trumpet. Then notice verse 29. Abner and his men walked all that night through the plain Passed over Jordan, went through all Bithron, and they came to Mahanaum. Now, I don't really know. I could look it up. I guess you could too. And you didn't when you was preparing for the message tonight, so don't fuss at me. But I don't know how far it is from the plain to Mahaneum. I don't know how long it takes to walk through Bithron. I think that's in Alabama. But it sure sounds like a long way, doesn't it? The implication is this that Abner and his men turned around and departed and walked off, however far it took, till they got back to safety. You know what I see? I see the bitterness was admitted. The blame was accepted. I see the blowing of the trumpet. And then finally, I see the battlefield was departed. Abner could have stood his ground, you know, like him fellows that died back in that field like stones. But he had the wisdom to walk away when there was nothing profitable to be brought from that argument anymore. I'm not talking about walking away from your marriage. am not talking about walking away from your kids. And I'm not talking about walking away from your church. I'm talking about walking away from your pride. And recognizing there's going to be times you're just going to have to cede the battlefield. Uh, not because the other person's right. Not because the other person will win. But because if you both stand there long enough, you're going to grab each other by the head and run a sword through each other. There's nothing profitable to be had there. And so you know what Abner does? He just turns and walks away. The Bible says that this battle, this conflict, it ended on that day. Now, it's not to say there weren't battles in the future, but they managed to end this with no further bloodshed. And I'd say this: if a man walked up to Abner and said, "Abner, let the young men arise and play," after this he would have said, "Whoa, now, it ain't playtime. It's a serious thing when you send those boys out and you allow them to fight like that. It's no small thing." would have changed his perspective because he was a man that decided he wanted peace in this conflict. You know, if we want peace in our home, we're going to have to recognize that slaying one another is not sport. Cutting, cruelty, mistreatment, abuse of one another. It's not sport. In fact, it's the path to the destruction of our contentment, our peace and our homes and our relationships. And the sooner we get serious about it and yield our heart to the Lord, the sooner he'll be able to give us a home that glorifies God and that is healthy for us and for the people in it. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. I really prayed about this message, when I ought to preach it, what I ought to say. I don't know what the Lord may have done in your heart and in your mind, but let's just do this because we don't want to give our pride any area or any traction. You might have somebody you want to pray for. You might not be coming down because it's your home or your marriage or your kids. But you've got somebody that you love. You've got children that you, that that in your life growing up in a battlefield. You've got siblings whose home is a battlefield. You've got loved ones. You've got people who's allowed the devil to get a foothold in. And he's just wreaking havoc and making mayhem in their life. Won't you come down and call their name out to the Lord? And ask God to get a hold of that situation before it's too late. Or maybe, just maybe, it's in your heart, and your home, and your mind. If that's you, you ought to do something about it. It ain't going to change till you walk away from the battlefield. till you let the trumpet of the Word of God blow in your heart and in your mind. Until you're willing to submit yourself to the truth of the Lord. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.